Well, good evening everyone. Uh, my name's Stan Steindl and uh, I'm delighted to be with you tonight to hear from my dear friend, Dr. James N. Kirby, um, all about what it means to, to choose compassion. Um, I'd just like to acknowledge, though, the, the traditional owners of the land, the, the Agara people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Uh, and just to acknowledge that we have some important decisions coming up, I guess, in the not too distant future. And so, with any luck, we will choose compassion in all of that. James. Stan. I've known James for many years. Uh, we first met when his hair was black <laughs> and his passion was for travel and conservation, everything from turtles to orangutans. <laughs> Uh, and his eyes sparkled with intelligence and mischief. Oh my God. His eyes still sparkle with intelligence and mischief. The black hair is gone. Uh, and he's now a very accomplished researcher, teacher, trainer, author. So well done. I'm stoked about his beautiful book. It's, um, I have my copy here oh, and, and you can see I've poured carefully through this uh, particular edition and, and learned a lot. So uh, congratulations on, on the new book. Oh, thanks, Dan. And um, it's a really excellent contribution of, uh, for the dissemination, really, of the, the science and, and practice of, of compassion. And I do have a few questions for you, <laughs> as you know. I actually typed into ChatGPT... <laughs> What are five questions I can ask Dr. James Kirby about this book, Choose Compassion? Oh, my God. And it gave me some very good ones. So, um, oh, my goodness. I actually uh, I, I added one slightly cheeky one as well. We'll, oh, good. we'll get to that. Oh, good. But, of course, yes, just hoping to have a, a very relaxed chat. <laughs> it's feeling relaxed already, isn't it? Oh, very much so, yeah. yeah. But... but so, so where, does, where did it all begin? What, what sort of inspired you, I guess, to, to write the book, to write Choose Compassion? Yeah. Uh, well, firstly, thank you, everyone, for, for coming. I know it's a Friday afternoon, evening, and I really uh, appreciate uh, you coming and, and making a sacrifice in your, your evening to come here. So that, that's fantastic. So thank you. It makes these nights so much more enjoyable. You know, you're always sitting there dreading, go, oh, maybe mum might turn up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you very much. Um, one of your inspirations. One of my inspirations, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, I guess I never thought I would uh, write a book. In fact, um, I never thought English was something I was particularly good at uh, in, in high school and, and, and so on. And so writing a whole book seemed like nothing I would ever uh, contemplate or, or go for. Uh, and then I fell into psychology at university, absolutely uh, loved it, uh, learning about how our minds work and how they can do good things, but also get us caught up in all sorts of disaster zones, um, really appealed to me. And so really got interested in that and then became a, a clinical psychologist because uh, I was really interested in working in, in therapy after I watched the movie uh, Good Will Hunting. So um, talk a little bit about Good Will Hunting <laughs> in the book. Uh, but uh, really loved Robin Williams in that movie. Very, very inspiring. And uh, didn't even know you could do that as a job, really. So it was like, oh, wow, you can do this. And so uh, sort of persevered with that and pursued that. And uh, in the work I was doing in my PhD, we were trying to help 
the relationship grandparents had with parents when they were providing a lot of regular care to the kids. And uh, for many, it works really well. Uh, but for some, it is tricky. Uh, there are some, uh, there's some history there that, you know, some of the parents have memories of when they were parented by the grandparent and uh, that aren't so great and they re-emerge, uh, particularly when the grandparents provide from a good place unsolicited parenting advice um, just to try to help uh, but the parents don't take that well and big arguments can ensue so we were trying to help in the, for families in that situation but the strategies we were using to help uh, promote greater uh, kind of connection and support were, weren't effective weren't, weren't, weren't making a difference in that quality so that just led me to research more and more and more and then stumbled into compassion uh, and a lot of work had been done uh, using compassion uh, in, a, in a therapy context, in a relationship context, uh, particularly by one individual who both of you and I have been inspired by, um, Professor Paul Gilbert from the UK. And I was like, oh my goodness, why was I not taught about this during my undergraduate uni days? And uh, then started using that in, in, in our family work and that did make a difference. Uh, so we, that was awesome. Uh, for the parents and grandparents and then just started continuing that journey and once you start reading about compassion you, oh, I've just found I can't stop um, much like you have because Stan's got a book here too uh, The Gifts of Compassion which I also own and is an incredible read um, you, just, you just get so interested and fascinated by it um, that you can't stop and What do you think that is? What, what is it that grabs you? Or, and, and it spreads doesn't it? When people hear about it it spreads Oh, absolutely it does. Uh, definitely ripples out. I think it, in, in, in... I mean, there's probably everyone has their own answer to that, that, that kind of question. Uh, for me, it, it kind of... It's probably two parts to it. Uh, one part is recognising how much we need other people's compassion in our lives. You know, from the moment we're brought into this world uh, to the moment, you know, we leave it, we rely on other people to... to well if it's to be a good journey in and out, <laughs> we rely on the, the compassion of other people um, to support us, uh, parents or extended family and uh, siblings and offspring uh, right through that and also of society. So, you know, what society going to, what societies are we living in to help support us, particularly when in, in difficulties? Uh, but then the next thing that really just kind of strikes me is how often um, or how easy it is for compassion to be turned off. So just little things like time, for example, can turn off your compassion. Now, I talk about this study in the book. Uh, it's called the Good Samaritan Study. Is anyone familiar with that, with that study? So this was a study done in Princeton, um, and uh, the, peop- uh, the participants had to go and give a lecture on the Good Samaritan. Uh, everyone familiar with the Good Samaritan, you know, helping someone who's fallen on top of time? And what they did to the participants who had to go give this lecture... Um, on the Good Samaritan teaching, um, they either uh, kept them, uh, allowed them plenty of time to get across campus to give the lecture, or they delayed them, and they would be running late to get to the lecture. And in both instances, there would be someone they would have to step over in the corridor who was injured, uh, and uh, they wanted to see if this person would stop and help the person who was injured, which is central to the Good Samaritan's parable. And what they found was that when there was enough time, they always stopped and, and helped the, the person who was injured in the corridor. But as soon as they were running late, 
uh, <laughs> about 70% stopped <laughs> helping. And these were people stopped who were going to teach. Yeah, it just didn't help. They just walked, they stepped over the person injured. Like, could you imagine? They just sort of stepped over the top. <laughs> I can't be late. I'm so sorry. It would be terrible if I was late. Um, stepped over the individual to get to the lecture so they could give it on time. And what they were teaching was stopping for people, you know, who need help. It's, it was fascinating. These were theologians <laughs> as well, who, oh. the participants, just to, to add another layer to it. So it's, you know, not that these people are not compassionate. 100% they are. There are just like factors, like mm. time and, um, uh, you know, the cost is always different for people, but there, is, there are certain costs that make it difficult um, mm. to give up in order to help another person. And mm. so I was like, oh, my God. Humans are crazy. <laughs> I can't believe we do this. Particularly when someone is suffering or needing help, you know. We were kind of um, in home kind of taught, you know, that's something which is really important. Mm. Uh, so to, to, to read about how, you know, if someone could do that, well, I could do that. And I don't think I, I, don't think I, I would do that. I think I would stop. But when I read this kind of research, I kind of think, well, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm probably fallible too and probably will go, oh, no, I'm running late. I've got to get there. Hopefully someone else will walk past and help this person yeah. create a rationale or a justification in my head uh, to minimise the distress. And mm. So that's what really got me super interested is, yeah, is, is, is the stoppages. And the two bits, like on the one hand, it's innate. It's a part of us. It's mm. part of how we've survived, how we look after our vulnerable young, in a sense, in that evolved kind of motive sense but it's also tricky and it's difficult and things get in the way what, what are some of the I guess in your book the maybe the principles or the concepts that you've uh, sort of put across there that might help people to manage some of that or even mm. continue to cultivate their compassion <laughs> yeah um, is, is he okay no it's just a little kid who wants to come in ah oh, yeah 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 <laughs> why wouldn't he I mean this is, this is, we should, we should let him in because they'll get bored quickly <laughs> and want to get straight back out. No, no, um, well, I guess one of the key principles is, is first, uh, you know, what is compassion? And so when everyone thinks of compassion, people will have an immediately different uh, kind of understanding or idea of what compassion is. Uh, in this book, what I use for the definition is the one uh, which is pretty similar across... Uh, many people's kind of views of compassion but kind of fundamental to the therapy we use compassion focused therapy is and that definition is firstly being sensitive to suffering so being able to notice suffering and what we mean by that is you know some people are very very good at picking up on when someone's a little bit a little bit off someone's having a little bit of a hard day there are people in our life we know who are very attuned to that and just pick up on it very quickly um, other people have to be at rock bottom <laughs> and almost told by someone else, you're not doing well, to then realise that they themselves are upset. So that's what we mean by sensitivity, like how good are you at picking up on that, uh, as opposed to necessarily the warmth and gentleness that sometimes is um, used as a synonym. But of course that warmth is also super important. Um, and then the next part of the definition is, is then, once you've become aware and, uh, of this suffering in self or others, um, the second part is then trying to do something to alleviate and prevent it. So there becomes almost like an action component. So it's kind of like, what are you able to do at this point? You know, some suffering you just can't prevent or stop, but we're still trying to make it somewhat easier 
to, to, to pass through that suffering. Uh, so examples could be, you know, being with someone through really difficult times is better than being alone, for example. I mean, it's still suffering and it's not easy. It's painful. Uh, but if you have someone there, that can, that can be, you know, incredibly important and meaningful for the person. But, you know, the idea is, is sometimes recognising I don't know what to do to help ease my suffering. Uh, so being able to turn to others to try to, to get a sense of what it is that I could learn and I, I could start to adopt and integrate into my life. Uh, so it's those two parts coming together uh, is really uh, the aim of, of compassion and, and that's kind of like the building blocks and the, the next kind of aspect to that is, is how important, uh, I try to, to, to make a point in the book, how important family is at helping cultivate um, that. So if you're raised in, in families where it's, it's warm, uh, trusting and supportive, that's really helpful at building uh, compassion. But if you're raised in, in family environments where it, it's very critical, uh, lots of punishment, and tragically there's a lot of, uh, unfortunately ch- uh, many children, surprising number of children, uh, have been in families where they've been exposed to an adverse childhood experience. So this is when there's been abuse or neglect or some kind of maltreatment. And uh, in those families, their source of uh, security and compassion is now become their source of threat and, and, and pain and hurt. And so it, uh, for children raised in those families, it becomes much, much harder to create uh, connections and trust with other people because the people who are supposed to care for them haven't. Uh, so they're much more, um, understandably so, <laughs> kind of adverse or, or unsure on, on how to connect with others. And that's obviously a blocker to compassion. Because, you know, often compassion involves two people coming together. It's relational. And so if you've been hurt by the people closest to you, it makes sense to be concerned and worried and keep people at an arm's distance who are not family because they could hurt you as well. Or if they were to find out, they would see you as being, you know, different. And that would also be a a worry or a scare. So the, the critical role of parents and families can help in shaping compassion. In fact, one study in Finland tracked what predicted compassion across three decades. And the strongest predictor they found for compassion was parental warmth. So the warmth from the parent coming through more so than, um, you know, sex, um, social economic status, um, whether if there was any mental illness and a whole host of other factors. So I guess those are the two big ones, the definition, what we mean, and then the second part is the importance of family. So just to follow up on that second bit, because that really, that, that's what I've really, you know, kind of admired is the way that you brought these two areas together. You, you did a lot of work with families and, and kids and helping in, in that area and then bringing the compassion piece in. I mean, in your research, because, you know, or maybe your, your, your clinical work or even just in your life, you know, like what, what are some examples there where families perhaps have really embraced compassion or, or you know, taken that on and... and you know, there's been positive outcomes, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for some, we, we've been doing some research looking at, you know, what factors predict, you know, uh, positive or emotional warmth in parents and uh, with their kids. And, and certainly uh, parents who are compassionately motivated, that, that's a big one. That, that, that will certainly predict positive parenting and, and good outcomes in children. Uh, however, there's a lot of pressure on parents around... Uh, 
from society, but also within family too, on how they're parenting. You know, if you've got a child, it, 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 you'd be very, uh, very aware of this. As soon as you take them out, everyone's kind of judging or noticing, particularly if the kid makes a noise. <laughs> so as soon as the kid makes a noise, <laughs> everyone's like, where's the parent? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's still, there's still this sort of sense that, um, you know, kids can be seen but not heard or, you know, that kind of vibe. It can immediately jump up. Um, and there's plenty of news articles written around, you know, children shouldn't be allowed on planes long distance or if they are, there should be a separate section, um, et cetera, away from everyone else. So parents can be easily kind of... Uh, uh, there's this sense within parents, there's this perception that when I take kids out, people are noticing, particularly if something goes awry. And, uh, and in those instances, some parents can feel this pressure that what the child does is a reflection of, of me as the parent. So if the child is doing something quote-unquote bad in terms of behaviour, they're going to see me as being a bad parent, you know, because, you know, um, if my child, if I was a good parent, they wouldn't have done that. And um, for parents who are kind of vulnerable to that, that's when they can get quite um, reactive, and start to perhaps say or do things they'd rather not, um, or you know, on reflection, wish they wish they hadn't. Um, and so there's a there's a bit of almost like a self image preservation um, there around this kind of social pressure uh, for parents, and, and parents feel like negatively judged when they take their kids out in public. Um, up to ninety percent of, of parents feel they're negatively judged by others, and and they feel um, they're judged almost most harshly by other parents. So, I mean, and in those parenting groups, you can kind of talk about this is what I do, this is what you do, and some people learn very quickly. I'm not going to share what I do because it just gets picked on. Mm. Um, and so, one of the things we tried to do is some of those parents could become very critical of themselves with how they're parenting. And so, we looked at whether or not, if we gave a brief, compassion-focused intervention to help shift out of criticism into compassion, would this improve parental um, sort of mental health? But also, would it have a ripple effect and shift how they react or interact with their kids? And moreover, would that then influence the child and in, in how, how they see their child's social, emotional and behavioural uh, kind of output? And what we found was uh, after a two-hour seminar on compassion and then giving seven practices that they could do, and we did those in the seminar, and then we gave them as tracks for them to continue to listen to, um, two weeks down the line, we reduced significantly self-criticism, improved self-compassion. Uh, didn't change parental style. That remained the same, but um, the, the parents reported seeing less emotional difficulties with the kids. But then three months down the track, that's where we saw all the change. And so three months down the track, uh, parents became less reactive and angry, and that significantly dropped. And there was uh, continued less emotional difficulties, less behavioural difficulties, and, um, and a number of other child things, which I mentioned in the, in the book. But, I mean, we were thrilled with this, you know, with this finding. It's kind of like, you know, if you can create that seed of compassion and, and then allow it and support it, it can shift how you start to view others and then start to shift how you view yourself and what you start to show towards other people. And that was the kind of theory. If we can implant that, 
maybe that's enough to take the the pressure of getting it right and rather be there for the kids when you, when you can and, and you have that within and um, maybe that can ripple out and and that's what we found found mm. there in that study so we were really really pumped with that it sort of it sounds like in some ways it was kind of like the self-conscious emotions the self-criticism or even shame of from parents that mm. led to this reactivity mm. and with compassion or perhaps even self-compassion they were able to soften some of that and then kind of approach things differently is there a mechanism yeah, like that at play or? yeah oh yeah a- absolutely yeah what you've just said it's Good. much more eloquent and succinct to what, <laughs> well, what i be uh, <laughs> a shorter well, book <laughs> <laughs> but but you did mention right at the start you know one of the intriguing bits is is there are barriers to compassion yeah. oddly enough like it all seems like a great idea and yet things get in the way so you know like how can people overcome some of these barriers to to choosing compassion you know because you know the world is it's i guess it's very competitive there's self-interest there's also that self-consciousness and sometimes shame can get in the way yeah yeah how might people overcome those barriers yeah i mean um i think I think the difficulty here is we're, we're just constantly and i have a chapter in the book on that um we're, we're a constant contradiction like you know we often say one thing and do another thing and people bring it to our attention <laughs> all the time we're like shut up <laughs> don't tell me um, so yeah i mean there's lots of instances of that with compassion so i mean a lot of compassion is towards who like what's the target um you know, you can sort of focus in on your family and, and friends, you know, how's my compassion in everyday life? They're the people I see most, so how is my sort of compassion with them? Um, but then beyond that, how is my compassion towards, you know, uh, the people at work, you know, my boss or the people, uh, you know, my students? How, how, how is it there? Uh, how is it towards clients? Uh, and then you kind of think again, you know, how is it towards strangers? Or how is it towards people I know but I don't like? <laughs> I really don't like these people. And if I was to see them uh, struggling or in pain, you know, I might actually enjoy some of that and go, yeah, he <laughs> 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 had it coming. Um, so, you know, there can be a bit of that in it too. Um, but then how is my um, compassion towards like animals, uh, environment um, as well? You know, and so in some of those areas I'm really good and in some of those er- areas I'm pretty bad um well not bad could be better uh so then it becomes what do i want to focus on you know i can't be perfect across all you know there are instances where i have to make a decision you know does my compassion go towards uh, my my family my child or does it go towards another now the idea here is thinking of uh, compassion as just being uh you know finite there's only a certain amount i can give so if i give you 40% 40% of my compassion for the day. I've only got 60% to, to give elsewhere. And, and some people do see compassion like that. And that does lead, lead to blockages. So we can't give resources to people coming into the country because we need those resources for us. So we can't, can't share. Um, so that sees things as a zero-sum game, you know. So whatever I do means some, someone else will lose. Um, so compassion tries to see things much more through a, a positive-sum game. And so it's kind of like um, there doesn't have to be a winner and a loser. There can be two, uh, there can be, uh, you know, through perhaps making some sacrifice, but we can still both have a beneficial outcome. So there can be two winners as opposed to uh, a clear winner and loser. And so thinking of it in that way, um, it, 
if you see it as a positive sum, it typically means you'll extend the compassion more freely uh, toward, towards other people. But certainly things like if you dislike people, that, that becomes a bit of a blocker. So how do you overcome, overcome that? You know, one is you could start to engage in practices. Or if it's someone really close to you that you're trying to resurrect the relationship, so like uh, ex-partner or, you know, parent-child relationship that went poorly and south and you're trying to connect again, perhaps seeking a therapist and working through that could be really important, a, a, a really important piece of the puzzle there. Um, but equally, there are some other things that we can do and that is just that don't require perhaps focusing on, you know, cultivating through a meditation or imagery or seeing someone professionally about it. Just shifting sort of environmental factors can make a big difference. You know, j- just, just like little things like, okay, but we won't have the TV on in the morning might allow for connection. And if there's connection, that might allow someone to, to say something that they're struggling with, which provides a moment of compassion. Um, also just trying to... Uh, uh, you know, in our environments, provide a, a sense of safety for people. If you're in a sa- if you feel like you're in a safe environment, you're much more likely to share. You know, so in the pe- in the post traumatic stress disorder, some of the the work there, particularly for men, is trying to create situations or environments where they feel safe for them to be able able to share. And if you can create that aspect of safety, well, then compassion can start to to open up a bit more towards yourself or, or towards another person. And sometimes just providing time, like not saying you have to have it by tomorrow. Or if there is that person who's difficult that you start to open up that compassion towards, yeah, that might take time to get to and it might open up, but then you go back. (laughs) And so it's like, it's not like once you reach the goal of I've opened up once, I can connect again. It's not just going to work plain sailing forevermore. It's you know, there's going to be difficulties along that. And so just recognising time, it can take, take some time. And, and people react in different ways than what we expect. Yeah, there, there's, there's going to be barriers, I yeah. guess, and accepting that, but setting an intention to work on it and practice. And it doesn't, it's not easy, but it's kind of worth it in yeah. the end if yeah. we can set those intentions. And recognise you're not going to be perfect at it. I mean, no one likes being around someone who's like a compassion police person. Like, you know, just monitoring everything they're doing, almost like a holier-than-now kind of intention or, or situation. I mean, one thing I do talk about in the book is, like, when it comes to diets, uh, people don't dis- like disclosing that they're vegan because as soon as they disclose they're vegan, other people around them feel like they're getting judged for eating meat. And, um, and on one level, research has shown that <laughs> vegan people are at our level of <laughs> thinking that as well. They are thinking that, yeah, they are doing the right thing and eating meat is not the right thing to be doing. Um, but then it creates this kind of ostracism between the two, you know. And so that kind of constant moral judgment can be a real problem at times mm. for compassion as well. And, and in both directions. In both directions, in 100%. Particular. Yeah. I'm just going to ask one, one more question, then we might see if there's questions from all of you. Um, this is a, a cheeky question. Actually, this one's not from chat. GPT, this one I made up all by myself. Um, but, um, but are there ever any occasions where it might be appropriate to not choose compassion? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, uh, you know, there we go. Uh, 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 you know, uh, controversial. Uh, 
So, I mean, this is getting into that, you know, we see compassion as a motivation, as a motivation to try to, to reduce suffering. And so there can be many actions to reduce suffering. Um, and so there's many ways of being uh, compassionate based on, you know, your skills, etc. But we also have other motivations as humans. You know, um, we have to eat, seek shelter. You know, these are important motivations. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sex is an important motivation, you know, to uphold as well, to help with the reproduction of the, of the species. So, you know, if you're compassionate all the time, under all circumstances, some of those other important motives that we need to help humanity might get compromised or, or not seen. And in fact, you know, if you have uh, co- cooperation, which is slightly different to compassion or competitiveness, um, you know, sexual activity and so on. Sometimes if these are given precedence over compassion, that's obviously a good thing as well. But if, if, if so, yes, there are times when not choosing compassion is really healthy. You know, to in fact, in, we've got a in, in in the therapy we use. Sometimes we give people a chance to have a compassion break, which is kind of like just take a break from it. Don't try to focus on it. Just give yourself an opportunity of just chilling, which is in some way self compassion. <laughs> but it's just like try to take off that pressure. Of, of trying to um, it's interesting when you like do mindfulness with someone you kind of you focus in on it then you kind of give the instruction okay now get, let go of your focus and just allow the mind to go and that's when the mind focuses <laughs> again it's not so funny when you tell so okay yeah, take a chill you don't have to focus on compassion so in some instances yeah 100% focusing on other other things particularly if, if you know the game you're playing like you know okay this is just a, a competitive so like in a sports context we know you've got 80 minutes I'm going to go hard for 80 minutes in this game of football or soccer, whatever it might be. I'm going to try to smash the opposition <laughs> as best I can. But if there's any issue that comes up during it, say um, the referee blows the whistle because there's an injury, you'll often see person from the opposing team, hey, are you okay? You know, just before they were smashing him. But now I'm just going to, are you, are you all right? Is everything okay? You'll often see that. So when we've got these rules, regulations that point out, yes, now we're doing competition, but now we're actually being supportive. Um, that can be really helpful for it, but hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, just what sparked for me there is that there, there can sometimes be multiple motivations all at the same time. Yeah. We, we can be very competitive against the opposition, but quite supportive of the people on our side, and then someone gets injured and things change. It's so true. Like, uh, I remember seeing Donald Trump in an interview. Saying, oh, he's, me- he's done it. He's mentioned Yeah, yeah, he's been Trump. mentioned. And he was talking about competition, and because, you know, America's the best at everything. Um, for Trump and he sort of in an address to the house or whatever um, he said and uh, America we're the greatest at compassion we're the best <laughs> at compassion <laughs> so yeah the blending of a competitive with with, a, with uh, compassion as to whether or not it's ever right not to uh, so yeah we want to choose compassion but you know um, to let someone continue to suffer um, yeah, I don't know. I, prob- I would say, no, you choose compassion. The um, hard bit there is working out what to do yeah, some- sometimes. Sometimes, of- yeah. But, yeah, I would be really keen, if anyone's interested, in, in sort of asking Dr James Kirby a question. Yes, please. In a nutshell, what do you mean by compassion, please? Yeah, helping someone who's suffering. Yeah. Did you have any... No, I was just wondering 
what you meant by it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Helping, so, so compassion's only compassion if there's suffering. So there's lots of kindness in everyday life. So mm-hmm. kindness could be favours or gestures I do for someone else. Um, give someone a, a book, for example, as a gift. You know, I'm not doing that for compassionate purposes, but I'm doing it because they're a friend, I value their friendship, and it's a kind thing to do. And that can help strengthen the bond, you know, and that's critical, you know, having that kindness there and knowing you're held positively in mind by other people is really important. But there's no suffering there. It's all trying to enhance happiness or sense of uh, mattering, you matter to me, or, or the bond itself. Um, whereas compassion is focused on the suffering. So if there's something, and you know, we did a study where we found where if you got people to, to talk about people they know and dislike, asking them to do kind things for them, we had a whole bunch of kind things, they, none of them wanted to do anything kind for them. But if we did the same and talked about someone you know that you dislike and they were suffering with these different things, would you do something compassionate for them? Um, yes, they would do something for them. Not to the same degree as if they liked them. So if, they, if it's someone they know and they liked, yes, they're 100% kindness and compassion all the time. But, so compassion is a gateway into trying to create bridges where, um, where perhaps there aren't any, uh, particularly for someone you dislike. So I do like that. And you see it, I think, time and time again, like in particular crises such as COVID that we went through during uh, 2020, you know, um, communities just with their sense of solidarity and coming together and on a global scale groups working together that would never work together because they're trying to compete for the same funding to try to create vaccinations um, was incredible so you know it's amazing to sometimes see that and as I talk in the book you know every second day someone in Australia is donating a kidney to someone that doesn't make the news you know but that's remarkable to me and one of the, the most tragic things is is that stuff should be making the news because if we hear and see it, we copy it. So there's research showing if you see someone being compassionate, you are more likely to be compassionate to the next person you see. Mm. But we don't tend to promote how helpful and compassionate we are. It's almost so boring. Uh, it doesn't make the news. But if it made the news, if it appeared more in stories, um, and if it, uh, well, and I think it does, like Bad Guys, the kids' book story, like there's a lot of compassion in that. You know, these are guys who have been ostracised by society as being bad because they're born a wolf or a snake, but they're desperately trying to be good. You know, so there's a real compassionate heart to that, that series. Um, the more you hear and see it, the more likely as you will, and I think that's really important. And that's, in fact, an easier way to get it going than telling someone, do this intervention or program for nine weeks and it will develop your compassion. It's like, no, if we can show it more, uh, you're more likely to, to do it yourself. Great. Thank you. I was thinking of ki- to, ki- to kill a mockingbird. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To walk a mile in someone else's yeah, shoes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so sometimes we refer to that as like empathy. Yes. And, 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 and empathy is really important. Um, and if you can take that perspective of another person, that can certainly inform the type of compassionate action you do, like a lot better. But I think it's also important to recognise sometimes there are strong limitations to empathy. Like, um, you know, I, I can't imagine what it would be like um, to have a miscarriage, for example. Like, that, that, that's just something I think would be a disaster and tragic. But I'm, I'm not a woman and I've never carried life within me and I can't imagine what that would be like. And there's almost a level of male arrogance <laughs> if I was to imagine what would that be like. Oh, yeah, I got it. 
<laughs> you know, it's kind of like sometimes it's recognizing I'm not going to understand what that actually would be like, um, and that limitation's fine, and I don't have to. All I need to do is see as this person is absolutely in despair over what's occurred, and how can I compassionately connect with them in that moment? So sometimes it's recognizing that empathy can be a really powerful informer. To, to compassionate action, but uh, you don't need to rely on it um, to be compassionate. Sometimes it's best, actually, I'm just not going to try. I'm just going to listen to what's going on here and be sympathetic or, you know, responsive, responsive to that. Um, and that's actually, you know, an easier, you know, being emotionally moved by that is an easier kind of path into, into compassionate action. Oh, yes. I was just going to say about self-compassion. Oh, yeah. When you sort of feel that you need to sort of like, give, when you've give, given a lot in yeah. your life, you know, that's what I was saying before, family, and you just sort of want to stop that in a way <laughs> and yeah. and have a bit of time for yourself. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. But it's really yeah. hard to cut off that, like, selfish, you know, yeah. feeling selfish. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. also, hey, this is a bit of my time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So Absolutely. To get that sort of balance. Oh, 100%. Um, one of the things we talk about with compassion is there's the compassion outwards. Yeah. And when you're doing that all of the time, it, 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 it can get to a point where you're feeling a bit, dra- yeah. <laughs> a bit trained, yeah. right? Um, and so then there's definitely the self compassion mm-hmm. component. And if there is a sense you're always giving, um, being self compassionate is going to feel different. Mm-hmm. It is going to feel weird and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And there'll be this judgment yeah. process kicked off. There's also how are we allowing others to give it to us? How are you at receiving compassion from other people? Um, so we talk about that flow direction and a lot of us, when the help comes in, we go, oh, no, it's okay. I've got it. Cheers, though. <laughs> and we don't... So we, we, we're keen to give it out. We've just done a study. I was looking at some results today where we looked at compassion in everyday life. So people would get pinged on their phone seven times a day asked whether or not they had an opportunity to be compassionate or not. And if they did, would they, did they act on it? And we looked at it, compassion outwards, self-compassion, and receiving compassion. And we tested this with 150 people. They'd get seven messages a day across seven days, so 49 pings on their phone about compassion. Um, so we got like 1,500 samples, which is a hell of a lot of samples. And, uh, and what we found was the most common compassion is outwards. So we saw about uh, numbers of about 380 to 400 kind of opportunities to act compassionately and acting compassionately. Self-compassion was the mid-300s, 350, so a bit of a drop. Low 200s for receiving. So it's kind of like, where's all these compassion acts going? (laughs) Someone someone has to be receiving it. Who the heck is receiving it? Are we aware that we're receiving it or not? You know? And, and, and part of it is, uh-huh. is sometimes you might not even be aware. Mm-hmm. There, there was a couple study done on, you know, that daily diary, like each partner in the relationship would comment on, did they give and receive compassion from their partner? And um, when both were, and both partners would do this, and if they both had agreement, they wouldn't know if they've had agreement, but, you know, if the data came back saying, yeah, they both, that led to most happiness and least negative uh, emotion that day. But even if one partner said, yes, I did act compassionately towards my partner and the other partner didn't notice it, they still had less negative feeling that day, but not more positive feeling, but less negative feeling to days where the partner said, no, I didn't act compassionately and no, I didn't receive it. Isn't that interesting? Um, you know, so, 
sometimes we might not even even recognize that it's come in and someone's done something for us i mean i know there are times this might sound a bit narcissistic but um there are times when my son he's running around but hasn't got great spatial awareness at time and i'll just put my hand there so his head doesn't hit the hit the the bench or the sharp edge and i sometimes just want to go hey you should thank me for that (laughs) (laughs) but he's got no idea he's running off doing something else um but you know just a little pat on my back (laughs) um so i think people do that but we just aren't aware and people don't comment but um Yeah. yeah it's a great point you make the boundaries is tricky one, one other question. Oh, then well, I suppose mine was similar to yours. Oh, yes. I'm a. I just spoke about you. You missed out. Um, <laughs> my, I'm a social worker by trade. In my trade, I'm a social worker and I work with family. And I try very hard in my practice to come from a compassion-focused lens in my daily interactions. Um, however. My self-compassion, my self-talk, so negative. Mm. It's so judgmental. Mm. I have no, I, the, yeah, the, the self, the self-compassion, <laughs> what is she? Um, so I suppose my question is, how do I start to change that self-talk? Mm. How do I change, how do I give myself the compassion that I'm so ready and willing to do so so much so that I chose it as my career. Yeah, if it was easy. <laughs> right, it's just not. It's really really hard. You can buy the book. <laughs> no, well, it, it is a case of, you know. What else? It, 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 what else? That's right, that's right. Um, there's, no, there's, no, there's no light switch kind of like, you know, oh, you want it? Here you go, flick, it, you'll have it. Um, it, it, is a, it, is a, it, it does take a tremendous amount of, no time and um and it, it can kind of in fact as you start to open up and, and give it to yourself be even more painful because it's kind of like oh my god i've been treating myself this way for 20 years you know how could i not have known there was another way to be with myself and you know the idea here is it's not your fault you know we just have a mind that can get very critical and often we live in worlds where there has been a lot of people criticising us, um, teachers, you know. So often in therapy, you know, the, the, the person will be sitting opposite us and they'll still remember what primary school teachers said to them. And it's just had a profound impact on who they, how they see themselves. And when they look at themselves in the mirror, they see someone who's a failure, ugly. You know, they say horrible things. So it's kind of like, that, that, that's not a simple simple answer it's it's tricky Chloe were you going to say um, something yeah really interesting in the therapy space I like what you said James earlier about compassion being such like a behavior motivated action I find um like a stepped approach where first of all like cognitive compassion can be really difficult um especially if we're not used to it. behavioral compassion sometimes we're not aware we're doing it so even like self-soothing Right, so if I'm feeling a little bit stressed and I get out my essential oils or I get out, you know, I have a nice bath, that's an act of compassion I'm doing towards myself. So sometimes I find, and correct me if you're off target, James, is like diving in 
um, and just noticing what are the behavioural things that I'm already doing that mm. are compassionate towards myself mm. um, and seeing is there any opportunity to enhance those and sometimes the cognitive aspect comes later. These are the behavioural ways that I'm extending compassion towards myself that I extend to others and then I'm you know, embedding and engraving this belief that I'm worthy of compassionate um, mm. behaviour and sometimes the cognitive aspect can come later as well. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, for every everyone's going to have a slightly different, you know, and some that'll be exactly the case, and others it's you know just different again. It 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 it, it is it's just tricky, you know, and it and it it is a case of sometimes um, there are just parts of us that that we really dislike, and so you know if there's parts we dislike, you know, we either distance or try to remove. You know, we were running groups, Stan and I. You know, we were running groups with with those who experience a lot of body weight shame and they literally grab themselves by the tummy and go, if I could just get rid of this, my life would be better. But that's part of them, right? But they treat themselves as, as an outgroup that they want to expel and exterminate and remove completely, um, which, you know, is just kind of devastating for their mental health. So it is, it is a case of, you know, it's tricky, it can take time, you know, can be so long-lasting. Uh, so the, the self-criticism can be so um, impactful. And, and it's what you're criticising yourself for as well. You know, sometimes, regardless of, of what we say to ourselves, society is constantly saying, no, you are defective or wrong. Think sexuality and stuff like that. You know, so it is tricky. Yeah, we might finish up in a moment. But... Um I actually was going to ask you whether you could give us a little oh, tip. No. Oh, okay. But I was going to say meditation. No, no, God, no, no. No, 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 no. God, please. Um, I, I, as you know, I, I love your compassion under the duvet tip. Oh, right, and I just yeah. wondered whether you could just share something like that, that one or another one, just in a couple of minutes for people to, to think about after they leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The compassion under the duvet is a great one. Duvet is just a blanket or a doona. Um, so it's just a way to start your day. So I think I talk about this in the book, actually. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. And uh, essentially all it is, like, I'm a grumpy person in the morning. Cassie, are you here? <laughs> I used to be a grumpy person in the morning. That changed <laughs> 100%. But um, when we, um, when I found out we were going to become a, I was going to become a dad, I was like, this has to change. You know, I don't want my first interaction with my newborn to be one of grumpiness and frustration. And so this is just a little practice. When you wake up in the morning, uh, just settle into your breath just for one or two cycles, nothing intensive. And then just uh, welcome yourself with a friendly inner voice tone. So for me, that would be, hey, James, um, which is much more pleasant than a hello, James, which is like <laughs> a, a formal neutral tone, not even in a hostile negative tone just a neutral tone hello James doesn't sound pleasant whereas a little hey James is like, a, like how I would say hi to a friend you know hey Stan <laughs> so, like that. so and that immediately makes you smile right which is lovely and you feel welcomed into your day you're welcoming yourself into your day so hey James I say in my mind's eye though not loud and then um, and then I just kind of think for a minute imagine what my day would look like um, if I was at my compassionate best so if I was at my compassionate best, how would I look at Cassie or look at the people around me? How would I feel? What would I say? What would I do? And so just to create an intention. And, um, and that can be a really useful way to, to, to you know, just start the day and, and connect. And, 
uh, increase the likelihood. You know, if you set intentions, doesn't mean it will translate to behavior, but certainly setting an intention, okay, I've got to remember to buy, buy milk on the way home. Setting an intention like that increases the likelihood you will do the behavior. So it's like, okay, I must try, and you can get specific, okay, I'm going to try to be compassionate towards this person today. I'm going to try to do this today. So that can be awesome to get it going. The other one I like to do, for, just to suggest to people, just look for it. Try to see if you can notice a compassionate action uh, in your everyday life. And if you notice it, um, yeah, which you do, you just notice it time and time again. Um, you know, at coffee baristas, like often I get frustrated with how long I have to wait for my coffee, um, impatient. Um, but then I notice sometimes the baristas having to put up with some difficult behaviour. And I'm kind of amazed by their sometimes, uh, you know, I know it's a, it's a role, a job too, but sometimes the compassion they'll show, um, particularly if it's someone who's struggling with, uh, like, conveying what they want as an order because it's a different language. Like at university, we have all these international students, so sometimes there can be struggles there or not knowing. And, and just that compassion they can kind of show, go, oh, okay, that increases the likelihood I'm going to extend it. So if you, can, if you try to set an intention of trying to spot it in a, in a, in a given day, um, not only will that make you feel good because you see someone being compassionate, but um, it'll increase the odds that you will be compassionate. So they're my two tips. Great. Lovely. Thank you. What's your third tip? No, well, my it's always three. It's always my three. tip is to finish on time. So <laughs> I just wanted to uh, well say thank you for creating this very uh, this wonderful resource. There's very, a lot of wisdom and, uh, that you've shared there. There are copies available here if anyone <laughs> is interested. I think I've bought six so far <laughs> for gifts and so on. Uh, but no, it really is a wonderful resource. So thank you everyone for coming and thank you, James, thanks, for James. letting us in.